Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with authors, artists, activists, theologians, philosophers, political pundits, scholars, and a host of others about their work and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a free-flowing conversation that's entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, and hopefully enlightening above all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. Who is Nevea Levitz? She's the main character in my guest, Natasha Diaz's new novel, Color Me In. 16-year-old Nevea Levitz has never thought much about her biracial roots growing up in an affluent suburb of New York City. However, when her black mom and Jewish dad split up, she's forced to confront her identity for the first time when she relocates to her mom's family home in Harlem. Loosely based on her own life, Natasha Diaz's Color Me In is an incredible debut about the meaning of friendship, the joyful beginnings of romance, and the racism and religious intolerance that can both strain a family to the breaking point and strengthen its bonds. It's a great book. We had a great conversation about it. I give you Natasha Diaz. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Your new novel is Color Me In, and it's it's funny because it's your debut young adult novel. Tim Ferriss, the you know big mega podcaster and author, has said that he loves reading young adult novels because he finds that the stories are often great with less pretentious prose. <laughs> and I found myself saying, it's so interesting that this is labeled young adult because, I mean... Obviously, it, it's about a young adult, but I found that the issues that she faces, the main character faces, are issues we all struggle with. And the prose is is has a simple elegance about it. I mean, is is that, was it conscious? Was it a big shift stylistically to write a young adult novel? No, I mean, so this is my first book at all. So um, it you know, it's sort of it was a new process for me. I I have a background in um, screenwriting and. Um, so I'm sort of switching over to prose uh, for this project. But um, no, I agree. I feel like and it was intentional. I wanted it to feel real is really what I was going for. And um, Nevea, the main character, she's dealing with issues of identity and race and religion. And as you said, like that's something that any anyone of any age uh, is confronted with, especially in these times. And so um, I wasn't trying to dumb anything down. Um, I wanted to speak to young people in a way that I, I hoped that they would be able to relate, but I didn't, I didn't want to, um, downplay any of the topics because I feel like young people, uh, especially now are, um, comfortable being open and talking about these, uh, sort of these topics that in the past have been taboo to sort of be open about. Yeah. And it's interesting because she, Nevaeh is in this biracial as you say, interreligious identity, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and she's someone who, I, it's all, it, I think it's such an interesting situation or struggle or existential dilemma when your looks, it, when your, your own visual, it, it just who you are visually to people doesn't um, immediately present what your background is, right? Mm -hmm. So people have to make an interpretive choice, whether you're, a person of color or white or something. And that is, is, I mean, dealing with race in this country is super complex, let alone when someone is in all of these different worlds and doesn't even, it's not even obvious to the people she's engaging with 
what world she's in. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> like, and she has to learn how to f- present and interact depending on who, how people see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so the, um, the main character, as you, you sort of touched on, she's biracial. She's half black and half uh, white and Jewish. Uh, she is white presenting. Um, and those are, are things that I share with the main character. I'm multiracial. I'm not biracial. I'm Brazilian, Liberian and Jewish. Um, but, present as white and perceived as white, um, by most people. And, um, so it's sort of something, the book itself is fictional, but it's based off my own experiences, sort of living with that identity and, um, having to sort of navigate how I, um, how I'm going to be essentially depending on the environment I'm in and the people I'm with, uh, but also sort of understanding overall uh, the perception that I have or that that people see me as is a, a white woman and and how that comes with privilege and how that comes with um, certain advantages and how that those advantages then impact my communities of color that I'm also a part of because there's many people within my communities who don't receive those um, same advantages. And how do I then activate that privilege to give back to my community and sort of recognize the ways in which I can be a member of my community, but also recognize that I am a, I have their differences to the way that I relate to the community. Um, and that those are all sort of things that Nevea is, is struggling to figure out, especially having grown up for the first part of her life, for the first 15, 16 years of her life in the affluent whitewashed suburbs where it was sort of just overlooked. It was sort of like, you look white, you're white. That's all that matters. Um, and then when she goes and stays with her, her mom's family in Harlem because her parents split up her black family is like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. Like this is, this is who you are too. And if you want us to accept you, you gotta, you gotta do the work and you have to take responsibility for, um, you know, your place in the world and the impact that, and, and value that your voice is given as opposed to ours. Yeah. And one of the things that I find so intriguing too, is that, that in her own, in the context of her, the black side of her family, that's religious, right? Believing and belonging are tied a lot more together, right? And so part of belonging to the community is a certain kind of believing in a certain spirituality. Whereas in Judaism, oftentimes that connection is looser, believing and belonging, right? I mean, you know, you can find a lot of observant Jews who, if you ask them if they believe in God on any given day, I don't know, but it doesn't change my observance. And what's interesting is her dad, who is not especially religious, in fact, has almost a kind of antagonistic relationship to her mother's faith, all of a sudden says, well, you need to have a, a, a bat mitzvah. You need to be, have your coming of age. It needs to be Jewish. And it's intriguing that he now finds this connection to his own religiosity because whether or not he believes, he knows it's part of his belongingness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, what I was trying to touch upon was um, sort of the difference between ethnic Jew- Jewishness and religious Jewishness. Because um, 
being Jewish can can be and is both of those things. Um, but um, in addition, it was sort of also wanting to talk about how internalized racism exists even within blended families and how, you know, this white man married a black woman and had a biracial child. And yet when they separate and she goes and spends time with her black family and comes back with cornrows, he is like, uh-uh, I don't. I don't like that influence. Like, let me now, like, take back cultural control, like, and force you to have a bat mitzvah so that you can really see who you are. Um, and it it was sort of this uh, this play on because I feel like you hear so many times, like, I can't be racist. Like, I, you know, I'm I'm married to this person or this person's my best friend or you know, it it it's so much deeper than that. And um, it, you know, it, it could have been any character, but I wanted to specifically have a Jewish father simply because that's my my background, not that my father is anything like the character. Um, but it also gives her a chance to connect to her Jewishness because, as you said, like her father really up until this point hasn't hasn't had any um, outside of cultural references, has, has never really had any um, Jew, Jewish religion or Judaism uh in her upbringing. And so this is the first time that she's being given an opportunity to engage with that part of her heritage and culture and to sort of figure out what her version of being Jewish is. Yeah. And, and Rabbi Sarah, who is, is her guide in the, in her exploration of her Judaism, I found her to be a a very compelling character because I don't think clergy of any uh, religion often know how to deal with a sojourner very well. Some do, but I mean, but often that's a hard thing when you come without a formed kind of connection to the tradition or, and you're sorting things out. And, and oftentimes I think clergy can either be two hands on or two hands off. And Rabbi Sarah has this unique ability to stick with her and, and connect her to the tradition in a way that's not controlling in a way that's really encourages her to be an explorer and independent, which I think is a, it, it's a beautiful portrayal of, of a clergy person. Yeah, I really, it was important to me, um, that the rabbi character be someone who had converted to Judaism because I wanted there to be this connection, uh, between her and Nevaeh where they both sort of feel a little bit like they don't fully fit within their communities. There's something a little different about how their place in their communities, um, just in the sense of their, um, how they got there or how they don't fit in visually or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so being able to have that connection between the two of them, even though it's from very different places, sort of allowed her to get Nevea to open up a little bit to it and to sort of show her like, look, this is how I came to Judaism. And yes, obviously I'm coming from a very observant religious place. I'm becoming a, a member of the clergy. Um, but I just want you to open your eyes to all the expanse of what Judaism can be um, as a people, as a tradition, as a religion, you know, and um, she's just very progressive and open minded. Um, she had a hard life. And I think that she um, it takes she's humble and she takes a lot of value in relationships. And she she just wants to see Nevaeh thrive in whatever that means for her. She doesn't want to force a very strict um a conservative uh, viewpoint of how she should approach being Jewish onto her. Yeah. It's interesting because also in addition to her own kind of 
her own relational journey in between these two families. And there's some interesting, she gets in some interesting romantic entanglements, <laughs> which stress, you know, friendships with a friendship with a guy that she has. And, and, you know, it's just like many, like, like many women coming of age, right. You know, you're, you know, guys don't always know how to negotiate friendships and romance and all these things. But also poetry becomes something that is a lifesaver for her, like something where she can self-express and, and, and figure out who she is. I mean, was that true of you? Because you do say this is loosely, I mean, you've said this is, you know, that, that some novels are not, obviously not all novels are not autobiographical, but you do say that some of this is, is, is rooted in your own story. I mean, was it the arts for you that helped knit things together? Yeah, I've always um, written poetry. I always wrote it for myself. It was never really something I shared with people, but it's always been a form of uh, communication that I've used sort of with myself as a way to express my emotions. Um, I, I never journaled. I, I remember I like trying a few times to get a diary and writing like, dear diary, this is what happened today. And then I would stop and be like, this is stupid. Not that there's anything wrong with people who do that, but it just wasn't a, uh, something that worked for me. And when I was upset or when something big happened, I would go home and I would write a poem. Um, and when I was sort of writing this character in this story, it, it's actually tricky to, to try to write something that's based off your own life, but that's fiction. Because the instinct is to really stick to what happened in your life. And what you learn very quickly is that doesn't necessarily make a compelling book or story. And so in a lot of ways, Nevaeh and I, uh, outside of our heritage, don't actually share much in common. We're very diff different personalities, different upbringings, um, all sorts of different differences. Um, but another thing that we that I realized I, I needed to sort of inject into her to so I could get into her mindset was this love of writing and poetry and um, using that as a way for her to. Um, sort of express herself and, and go on this journey of coming of age, uh, when she has all of this other turmoil going on in her life and this identity crisis and everything, she, she turns to writing and it helps her not only to get to a good place emotionally, but it also helps her find her, her voice, her, her voice in the world. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ken Skillman, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Jennifer Spate, Ben DeHart, Joel Wentz, Jordan DeMice, Samantha Conower, Simone Garabedian, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, 
Stephen Rowe, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jody Stevenson, Andrew Stravitz, Glenn Stalker, Greg Johnson, and Kai Wintenig. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. I'm curious. So you, I mean, she has these twin, not just racial influences, but religious influences in her life or or kind of an interesting sort of uh, antagonistic uh, religious, you know, her father's kind of antagonism, antagonistic to the religious tradition of the maternal side until again, he he wants to root her, and then and then his Judaism becomes more complex. But for you, was there was there a counter religious weight to your own uh, Jewish? Was it Christian? Was it how, was it how was that? Yeah. So another thing that I do share with Nevea is, um, you know, so my father is uh, Jewish; he's re- Reformed Jewish, and my uh, mother is Baptist. Uh, she herself doesn't practice, but my grandfather, her father on her on her side, was a Baptist pastor. Um, there was a large point of my childhood where I was going to temple on Fridays and church on Sundays. Um, again, I've never been uh, practicing in either religion by choice, but in the divorce papers of my parents' divorce, I was it was legally required that I be raised Jewish. Um and I had a lot of What do you have to trade for that in a divorce thing? Okay, I'll give you the religious thing. What am I you know, but I'm getting three weekends of my how do you yeah, like, I have what, no what, what, I, chip, what chip goes back and yeah, forth with that? I don't know. I mean I know at the time, um and I don't know how common, you know, what the what the general practices now, but at the time that my parents got divorced, I was very young. I was four years old. This was in the early nineties. Um, it, it was very common for the judge to just give full custody or majority of custody to the mother unless there was a reason not to. And my father really wanted to have more custody with me. And this was a way, cause he, he, he didn't have an antagonistic relationship with, uh, his Judaism in the way that the father character in this book has, but he's also never been Pract- he, he once he had his bar mitzvah as a child, I think he sort of that was it, and he didn't continue on as he got older, uh, going to temple or anything or practicing Judaism. But he realized that if this was on the table, it would mean I got to spend more time with him. Um, because he got less custody than he wanted, and so I think that's what he was pushing for. And um, you know, on my end, I was very resentful of it because a it was another thing that I was required to do, uh, every week. That's not necessarily fun for a a kid. (laughs) And I mean, you know, depending, but for me, it was not fun. And, and, um, it also, you know, I have, I have a much larger family on my mom's side and I'm the different one. I'm the one that looks white and I was the one who had a different last name. And I was the one now who wasn't going to be able to get baptized at my grandfather's church, like the rest of my cousins. And it made me feel more different in my own family. And I resented that for a long time. It made me feel like I had even less of a right to claim uh, my my heritage on my mom's side, my black and Brazilian heritage, uh, because it made me even less that because I was Jewish. And now I was not just Jewish, but I was like practicing Judaism. Um now, as I've gotten older, I, you know, realized that that's not true at all. And there are tons of people of color who are Jewish. There are tons of biracial people who have a similar background who are half black and half Jewish. And that doesn't, you know, one doesn't outweigh the other. Um, but at, at that point in my life, it felt like that's what was going on. And so I really pushed back against the process. And I honestly 
wish that I had engaged more with specifically the process of becoming a bat mitzvah, not because I think it would have made me any more uh, religious or, or just want to practice uh, Judaism, but because I think that there's a lot that can be taken from the tradition of sort of preparing to come of age in a way where you're publicly declaring that you're taking responsibility for who you are in the world and your actions. I think it's a really beautiful tradition. Um, and I think had I not been such like an angsty teen, I might've, uh, learned something from it. And writing this book was sort of my opportunity to go back and do that, uh, again, because, cause I really, I really did the bare minimum. I, I went to the classes with the cantor i learned the songs and i did it and then i was done um and so this was my chance to sort of go back and dig a little deeper yeah i think that 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 is interesting right like religious traditions have this i mean the reason they're still functional traditions with all their problems is that they do serve as deposits of accumulated accumulated wisdom and so something thing, things like these these traditions of coming of age there when people get disconnected from these sort of pre-modern ancient traditions sometimes it's hard to make it up on your own right i mean it's hard it's hard to to uh and some people successfully do figure it out but i i, th- I think a lot of times that th- people feel adrift without access to some of these things that for generations have helped people figure out where they are in their story and how they negotiate the world. Yeah. And I also feel like, you know, I don't know. I think it also probably depends on the community you grew up in. Uh, You know, I grew up in New York city in this very diverse uh, group of friends where everyone had different traditions and it didn't feel like what I was doing was quote unquote normal, but it also didn't feel like there was a normal, like everyone was, was doing what worked for their family. And I I can imagine if you're in a different setting, like perhaps a more um, suburban or rural setting where everybody does this thing at this specific time, you may feel uh, it's like a rite of passage or something that you're even looking forward to because you've seen it happen so often. But with me, like as I got older, my friends weren't going to temple on Friday evenings and then also busy on Sunday mornings because they had to go to church. And I was, I was busy. It took away from my social life. It took away, it it just, it felt like um, it was, it was, taking over, uh, in a way that I had no control over. I, I, I'm, it's interesting because your book has intersectional, I mean, it definitely has intersectional themes, right? I mean, so much of what we think of today as intersectionality is played out in the, you know, in, in, in Val's life and, and even things like microaggressions, you know, where she's just, you know, her, her blood is kind of boiling uh, under her skin a little bit w- when she's misunderstood or, or, or f- she feels more like an object than a subject in her own story. So often I think terms like intersectionality and microaggression are very cold, right? They're, they're talked about whether it's on the left talking about them in a way that often sounds uh, a little in your face or something, probably necessarily to people outside those conversations. And you hear people outside those conversations uh, talk coldly about, you know, intersectionality and how it, 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 it's sort of with antagonistic tones. I'm struck by the warmth of, of this book in that, in that you, you take something that's normally uh, talked about uh, in prickly contexts, you know, just in our cultural, uh, you know, common, you know, in, in public life, right? Seldom is intersectionality talked about with this kind of warmth. 
where where you see that this woman has a really complex identity and that it's hard to understand the nature of her struggles like because because of so many pushing and pulling influences in her own self like and i mean i just think that were you conscious of hey look these themes need a, a a a more human kind of context to play out because the way they play out in in public discourse often isn't very humanizing yeah i mean i just feel so often when you're talking about um, like a Jewish narrative, for example, nine times out of 10, I feel like it's a Holocaust narrative, right? Like it's very um, stuck in that. Not that those aren't extraordinarily important stories to tell, but rarely uh, did I find, especially growing up, um, books about um, contemporary Jewish teens, uh, you know, sort of figuring life out the way that you know, any other sect of teenager might be. Um, And when it comes to multiracial, biracial narratives, often you hear a lot about the internal struggle that they're feeling left out from their community and, um, you know, not sure how they fit in and you feel bad for them, but you don't go to the counterpoint of, especially if they look like me or are just light skin, not fully white passing, the responsibility that comes with that privilege and sort of the the opposite side of how that, um, you know, them sort of being quote unquote left out or sort of diverging from their overall community. It's, it's not necessarily always something to feel bad about. It's something to maybe use to activate, to uplift your community. Um, those are things I never uh, had in books growing up. And it, those are something, those are things that I would have really benefited from reading. And I wanted to sort of write the book I never had, um, in, in the hopes that there would be other people, whether they share the same heritage as, as me or not, but can relate in, in any way to feeling like they don't fit in their world or worlds, um, might be able to relate to. And so, you know, I think that, these sorts of conversations when you're talking about mixed identity, whether it's uh, ethnic or racial or both, it's a religious, uh, interreligious as well. It's it's not black and white. That's the whole point is it's it's really tricky to navigate. Um, but there are certain things that you can touch upon, which is that we're all humans and we're all going to make mistakes. We have to learn how to take responsibility for those mistakes. And um, I think that's a really important lesson to learn when you're young is to not be afraid to be called out and to take that and and be grateful for that as opposed to being um, taking offense to it. I think that's something when you're talking about harshness, when you talk about microaggressions, a lot of times someone will be like, hey, man, you know, hey, that's sort of, you know, and they'll be like, oh, that's not what I meant or don't be like that. And it's like, no, I'm simply, I'm like, if someone tells me that I, I say something offensive, I thank them because I'm like, I didn't realize or, you know, thank you for, for opening my eyes to that. Um, and I think that if we were able to, to have those conversations across generations and across communities, I think it would really help just our overall discourse in terms of navigating our differences. Um, and I wanted that to be something that was normalized in this book, but also it's, it's normalized, but it takes Nevaeh a while to, to understand, like she, she's, really defensive with her cousins in the beginning because they keep holding her accountable. They're like, no girl, like this poor little white girl act that you're doing is not working for us. Like we're out here being, you know, harassed by cops and you are, you want us to feel bad for you that you feel left out, that you look different than us. Like, meanwhile, you can do anything with, without, you know, public harassment. Um, 
that's you know we're not uh, we're not on balanced terms here and so she needs to she needs to really get past the um the barrier that her privileges have afforded her to to really see and understand and i think it's an important journey and lesson for anyone because we all have privileges whether it's socioeconomic or access to education access to food re- a religious um race like you know there are gender their their sexuality we all come there's oh you can always think like wow that's something that i have that there's someone that does not have that and i need to to really take accountability for that and and recognize it yeah and so often the way we talk about these things is in the context of hashtags and social media where the 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 discourse is by nature you know stunted terse where where you just do a really good job of humanizing things that often in our culture become hashtags right and and i think that 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 if there were that yeah you're right i think this is a sort of book that uh is is a great resource in the sense of, of helping people tell their own story that that have more and more common you know these sorts of complex identities in a multicultural world yeah definitely i mean that thank you that's what i hope that was what i was hoping for so i'm glad that came through there's you know there's an interesting sort of turn in the book where nevea discovers her mother's journal mm-hmm. uh and that takes her down some interesting roads but, but even in the wider context i mean that that's a pointed example of a of of a broader theme i see which I mean, at some point, you know, children aren't really full human beings to their parents and parents aren't really full human beings to their children. Right. And then there's this time when you become normal human beings to each other, warts and all. And that's a tough relationship. Right. Like, and oftentimes the deepest parental child relationship or when that is negotiated in a healthy way. And that's what's so interesting. Another layer that I think is interesting about this book is her attempt to humanize her parents and be a human with them, be a sexual being, be a complicated being and her allowing them to be more complex. I mean that you describe that in a way that I think is a challenge every child and every parent has. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm actually about to become a parent. And so I, Congratulations. thank you. Um, I, that, that was not the case when I was writing the book, but it's something that I'm sort of reflecting back on and sort of seeing maybe I was, subconsciously preparing myself for but i do think that uh a lot of times we hold we we don't look at our parents as as people we look at them as mom and dad or you know whatever your parental structure is and that is held at this like high bar that uh they're not given any leeway to to be people and to be humans and so you know nevaeh is going through this really difficult time with the divorce and being uprooted from the home that she's grown up in and being thrown into this new um community and culture and her mom is depressed and like not very present um not doing what she expects a parent to do which is to to drop everything and be there for her uh because her mom is struggling and when she comes across her mom's journal and she sort of uncovers this secret from her past that opens her eyes to the past traumas that she's that she's experienced it it gives her this moment to sort of take a step back and go okay she's going through something too like she's been through some stuff before and she is clearly going through something too. And it takes, again, she's a teen and she's selfish and, you know, she's had part of the way that she was brought up sort of, uh, forces for has not forced, but has, um, it's, it's in 
it's it was the word I'm looking for. It has uh sort of made her the way that she is and she has to go back and um do work on herself. And so she sort of has to figure out, oh, okay, like I need to I need to give my mom a little leeway here. I need to I need to remember that we all we all go through things and she's going through something. She's going through this divorce as much as I am. And um it it was it was a good it was a good moment of reflection for me to remember that with my own parents um because their divorce was very hard for me and um it sort of looking back i was like i wasn't really fair to them because that must have been really hard for them too in in a different way but it's that's not easy breaking up a family i mean it was the right thing to do but that's it's not easy for anyone in in different ways you know i really appreciate that you you know in our lives we don't live with racial issues over here, religious questions over here, family system dynamics and trauma over here, we we experience it all together. And you've done a great job of 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 holistically capturing that experience in Color Me In. It's a great book. Thanks for writing it, and thanks for taking some time to talk with me about it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was so great to chat with you. Ah, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you've found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Natasha for coming on the podcast. Do check out her debut novel, Color Me In. You won't regret it, I assure you. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.